This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I hope you had a restful Labor Day weekend. I got a bit of work done. Ooh, did you? What do we have accomplished? Uh, I cleaned out my son's cupboards or drawers, I should say. Lot to purge? Uh, It was a fair bit there. It's like, you know, like I said the other day, it's all legs and feet that grow. And, you know, you're looking (laughs) at things and sizing them up. I said, what is this still doing in your drawer? Yeah. That wouldn't fit. Was it the decision making process hard for that or was it easy for you? No, toss. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I um, uh, the uh, I think I, I always call them the diabetes crowd. I'm not 100% oh, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. but they come around. They yes, have a I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, so they're coming in the next little while, nice. so I'll have that ready for them. So I, I, I sort of had my motivation there yes, to get a- that done, so... Anyway. Yay, I love Yay, it when people Labor Day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> How was your weekend? Oh, it was good. Um, although I got caught into the, you know, when you, you go down the spiral of getting ready to go to cabin country, but you're home and you don't want to leave the house in a mess, and then you see the laundry, and then you see the toilet, and then you see everything else that got to yep. be done. So by the time I got up there, I think it was late Saturday night by the time I had all my ducks in a row. So. <laughs> I hear you. And it's worse because we had such a beautiful weekend. The sun shines in and the sun reveals all kinds of things. It certainly does. Yeah. And uh, so that took a lot out of me. But I did go blueberry picking, which I was really happy about. Are you one of those that reveals? No, no. Where you go picking? Are you kidding me? You're one of those covetish berry pickers this is how bad i am i asked p- uh, listeners i don't know what year it was but i asked them to reveal their blueberry blueberry picking spots yeah, and, and that started a war <laughs> nobody would want to do it no of course right? not. right so they i'm don't. not gonna do it and you're not going picking my berries no i haven't been out yet so you're not getting my berries uh the, well you know uh, i'm sure that the rnc have <laughs> and the rcmp have reports somewhere oh yeah how often do of they some have kind to, of yes. record of someone having a fight or a, a racket over blueberries <laughs> Uh, I have an incident, but I'm not going to go oh. there right now. Oh, yes. Oh, but you, not right now, oh, but yes. you will at some point? No. Oh. No, some someday in private. Okay. Awesome Christmas uh, party. Can't wait. But Mark it down. Uh, my mother and I had someone chase us over the barrens. Yes, it's absolutely true. Arms waving the whole nine yards. You're it kidding. happened. It happened. That is worse than people back, you know, when mom and them going after the Cabbage Patch dolls and them, you know, kind of like tug of warring at their arms when they were available down at Woolworths that time. That's, this is what that sounds like well, to God me. God love her. Mom stood her ground. <laughs> she stood her ground. She gave back as good as she got. <laughs> I can't say. wait to hear But yeah, it, it happened. So yeah. I can understand all that. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get it because we were on, oh, you're on someone else's end. turf. It sounds like a drug war. <laughs> well, <laughs> we were on someone else's turf, but my mother asserted her, her right genealogical to right to Ooh. be there, if you will. Uh, anyway, it's a long story. Uh, it's a long story. I'll tell you someday okay <laughs> this is a long 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 time ago now uh but i remember it well um uh, but uh, so berries berries lead us into 
school. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because it comes this time of year, of yes, course. It, sure. School opens tomorrow, as everyone knows, and, and you can expect increased traffic on the roads, especially in around schools. And it's always that little bit of a surprise, isn't it, it Claudette? Is. Especially after the last two weeks. I find the last two weeks of the summer holiday, so to speak, it's always the quietest. Because I think everybody takes their holiday in. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And now we're, we're I don't know, we're and really then all of a find sudden, it different. Yeah. Ba-boom. You're like, where did all the, all traffic, the traffic come from? from? And that's going to happen tomorrow morning. So with that in mind, the town of CBS and the RNC held a news conference this afternoon to remind drivers of the rules of the road so that kids can stay safe throughout the school year. Well, here's CBS Mayor Darren Bent and RNC Constable James Cadigan outside St. George's Elementary earlier today. First of all, I want to thank everybody for coming out uh, today. It's, of course, one of the most exciting times of the year for families and young children around our province and indeed here in Conception Bay South. Uh, we come together as it's back to school tomorrow. And, of course, we want to remind everybody of how important safety in our school zones and indeed throughout our entire community is. Uh, we're joined today by Constable James Cadigan, Constable Carter of the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary, as well as Councillor uh, Christine Butler. And we're also joined by our own uh, uh, municipal enforcement officers this afternoon. So I thank them for coming. The town of Conception Bay now, uh, South is known for its family-oriented values and the welfare of young people is key in our core values in this community. And we are positioned as the second largest municipality in the province. We have nine schools running from one end of Conception Bay South to the other from K to 12 with more than 4,500 children in those schools and they'll be returning to school here in Conception Bay South tomorrow. This means our roads will be some of the busiest roads in the entire province. And we embrace the return to routines. And we must take this opportunity to remind motorists to exercise caution, patience, and respect as children return to school tomorrow. And a reminder, especially in areas like St. George's Elementary, where we are today, we have five elementary schools in this town, and many of the parents that will be dropping their children off tomorrow will be doing so for the very first time. So we especially remind people to use patience, use respect when you're in these areas, because these parents are going through a process they have never done before, and we want to make sure that it is an exciting time for them, not a frustrating time for them. So please give them the respect and the patience that they deserve on their first day of school, bringing their little ones to school. Many of our schools are situated on Route 60 right here, which is the fifth busiest road in the entire province. Recognizing this, councils reduced the speed limits in all school zones in our town to 30 kilometers. We have taken the initiative uh, of making safety in school zones a priority, and we have done so by spending $27 million since 2018 to improve the roads in our community and to improve sidewalks in our school zones. In fact, if you go down to the Topsail Elementary area today, you'll drive through an area where new sidewalks are being installed in that school zone, and that's an extension to the sidewalks we've done in school zones uh, throughout the town over the past seven years. We are also using many tra traffic calming measures in our town, such as speed humps, uh, line painting, digital feedback signs, and strategic signage in our school zones to indicate the 30-kilometer school zones in the town. 
And since the arrival of the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary Police Detachment right here in Conception Bay South, we have experienced a much greater positive outcome for our parents and our children and safety in our town. And we welcome our continued partnership and support as demonstrated here again today with their presence. Once again, I urge our community to slow down when driving, abide by traffic regulations, stay attentive, knowing our roads will be extra busy this week, and make sure we leave the house a few minutes early because there will be those traditional slowdowns the first day and probably the first week as young children return to school. Thank you very much. I'd like to now call upon Constable Cadigan to say a few words. Thank you, Mayor Bent, and certainly the town of uh, Concession Bay South for engaging the RNC to come out and, and speak about, you know, this very important issue of back-to-school safety and traffic in our communities. You know, the RNC, we operate in the jurisdiction of the Northeast Avalon, Corner Brook, and Labrador West, and across the province engaging with our partner agencies of the RCMP and Highway Enforcement. And uh, these relationships with our municipalities are vital to our ability to effectively enforce traffic safety and, uh, you know, identify areas that need more attention and more uh, police presence. So, uh, you know, as we approach the school year, I can confirm that the RNC will have a police presence in school zones throughout our region. And uh, you can expect to see traffic safety initiatives. And uh, certainly we call on the community to contact the RNC in cases where you have concerns for uh, dangerous driving operations, distracted driving, or other practices that you feel are are putting our community at risk. Uh, you know, safety and, and traffic safety are a responsibility of us all in the community, uh, from motorists to uh, parents and certainly students. Uh, so it's important for students to recognize that there's uh, practices that can promote your safety, certainly as you approach your school, uh, whether it's using crosswalks or even through the parking lots. You know, be vigilant to your surroundings and ensure that if you're approaching a crosswalk to make eye contact, some form of communication with the operator of a vehicle that is uh, stopping uh, you know, at a crosswalk to ensure that it's safe to move, move on. Uh, furthermore, parents, you know, talk to your kids, you know, whether it's getting on the bus, ensuring that the bus comes to a full stop, doors open before the child approaches the bus. A practice as simple as that can promote safety in our communities. And, and motorists, you know, without uh, any doubt, as we get into the school season, uh, this is a time where rush hour uh, periods, you know, any time from 7 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. Uh, and again, at the end of the school day, uh, you know, after 2.30 generally uh, in the afternoon these are peak uh, traffic times across our province and uh, you know being vigilant to your surroundings you know do not uh, operate a vehicle while distracted we all know that uh, distracted driving results in tragedy uh, when it's that moment you look down or look at a phone could be the moment that uh, an absolutely tragic event occurs and that time you'll never get back uh, you know it's important to recognize the risk uh, of distracted driving in our communities Again, I want to thank the community here in CBS for inviting the RNC to come out and, and address this important issue. And uh, we look forward to working with municipalities across our region as we progress through this school year and, and we look to have a safe and enjoyable uh, school season.
RNC Constable James Cadigan and CBS Mayor Darren Bent outside St. George's Elementary offering that uh, friendly reminder to drivers uh, throughout Newfoundland and Labrador, not just in CBS, about the uh, importance of uh, keeping all of those many, many uh, things in mind as the um, the new school year starts uh, tomorrow. Well, school's already started. You may notice in your Facebook feeds uh, for some people right across uh, the country already today, uh, but uh, it's forced the closure actually of schools already on the first day of school in some areas because it's so hot would you believe Claudette yeah tomorrow is going to be warm too yeah but today is the first day of school for many students in places like Ontario and and Quebec and the like but even though the summer break is now over it doesn't feel much like it in central Canada's heat warnings blanket the region Quebec education minister Bernard Dranville says one school board has closed all elementary and high schools today as temperatures are expected to reach 41 degrees with the humidity in some areas. Can you just imagine? That's unfathomable. But it's, you know, it's good that it's taking place now because how much learning goes on in the first couple of days? You know, it's I mean, it's important, but still, it's better than right in the thick of it. Yeah, it's all about orientation and seeing which friends are in your class and who your teachers are. I think it's more laid back, too. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. So, uh, but they've already had to close school. That's because the, of the I know that I can't believe that. Yeah, forty. You said over forty, right? Yeah. Yeah. 41 degrees with the humidity. Just amazing. Well, coming up after the break, changes to help with the retention of corrections officers. We'll speak with Nate President Jerry Earl. This is News Talk on VOCM. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Well, the provincial government has announced a number of new supports designed to help in the retention of corrections officers. NAEP helped to develop the new measures including extra pay for corrections officers who have to punch overtime on a regularly scheduled day off and a one-time retention bonus of $2,500 paid to full-time union members. Nate President Jerry Earle joins me now. Well, hello, Jerry. Good afternoon. How are you? Great. So I see that the provincial government has put out a release now. New initiatives support retention of correctional officers. And uh, government is saying that in conjunction with uh, NAEP, um, some action is being taken to help support the retention of correctional officers in the province. I know that's an issue that uh, comes up from time to time and some of the challenges faced within corrections in Newfoundland and Labrador. What's your response? Uh, like they say, we have been working collaboratively with this government, especially in the last number of months. Uh, and again, something we've advocated before is including and listening to the voice of frontline workers. So we had a group put together made up of a couple of correctional officers, leadership within the group, uh, senior staff. And this is a file I was personally involved with and will stay involved with, uh, recognizing the challenges that correctional officers and other staff in that bargaining unit, because we have classification officers and others, uh, the work they do in extremely challenging environments. We know there's a retention issue, and we also know that to fill the vacancies that we need to put a significant move in place to recruit uh, and train people. So the thing there is uh, recognizing what many do in the correction officer bargaining unit uh, and then doing some temporary measures to acknowledge them and then looking at some longer-term initiatives, as you see in the press release talking about training, uh, letting the police 
Police Academy and actually doing a training, which we've talked about for some time, right here in Newfoundland, Labrador, in Labrador itself. So we're hoping that will generate new recruits. Uh, and what we're work on now is to repeat this process so that we will have a sufficient complement of staff in that particular bargaining unit to meet the requirements that's there. And this also helps to support um, correctional officers now on the job. I see that there's a, uh, a change in uh, how their pay is going to be, um, I guess, allotted. How does that work? Absolutely. There is a couple of things there now that will be done for a for an interim period, uh, basically a recognition type thing, a retention component, uh, also recognizing that they are working, uh, giving up their own time right now until we have sufficient bodies in place, so an acknowledgement of that, uh, and that's something we want to try to alleviate because this is very difficult work, and while we have acknowledged the additional hours now, we're open to lessen those hours as we get new recruits. Uh, and the initiative there is like like this training in Labrador. We've done it once before. It was beneficial. This is probably the most significant group where we will train in Labrador now. It's called core training. Uh, 20 people will be involved. Some of them will actually be recruited from right in Labrador and hopefully then will work in Labrador. And some of those recruits will come back to uh, one of the facilities which is most challenged now. All of our facilities are challenged to a degree, but initially HMP. Uh, then the Atlantic Peace Academy, we're training. 13 more people and has indicated a significant degree of interest uh, and we will promote this more now collaboratively like we said we have to educate uh, Newfoundland's Labradorians that th these jobs are there uh, they can be rewarding when we have a full complement of staff uh, and they are jobs that are quite valuable challenging yes but jobs that are very valuable and a group of workers that are often ignored overall like these officers and other related staff the classifications officers and others that work in our prisons, uh, they do challenging work and often don't get the recognition deserved. And I think this is some steps, and I, I say that some steps in the right direction, we still, still have challenges to face, and then some significant ones uh, that we've talked about for a very long time, for example, the outright replacement of the HMP, so people will want to go to work there and be less, less complicated to attract people to work. Any updates on that front? Because I've been at this a very long time. We've been talking about the replacement of HMP. Decades we, later, it still hasn't happened. Yeah, and we have said to the current government, we've said to opposition parties, this has to happen. We're really going to be turning our focus there. It's much too long. We attended a, an announcement down on the side of the lake, I think almost five years ago now, and it's still been talked about. But our intention as the union represent correction officers in this province and other associated staff, we are really going to step up that intention there to say this needs to be done. People that are reporting to work there are in an unsafe environment, and inmates there, and I know, again, some will roll their eyes, but they are housed in an unsafe environment. This facility, number one, should have a safe workplace for people that work there, and it should also be a facility that allows people the opportunity, if there's any chance at all, uh, to be able to be rehabilitated and return to society at least some percentage. But we say right now the working conditions is the living conditions of many. And for the HMP, that has to change. And we're really going to be exerting our pressure, not only on government, the opposition parties saying they cannot interfere 
here or try to discourage the construction of facility for the health and safety of the staff uh, and at least hopefully to be able to improve and have people return to society like having some chance of the, for the inmates there. Yeah, I see that, you know, we're seeing a, a replacement of St. Clara's because ostensibly it's about 100 years old. Uh, HMP is far older than that some parts. This facility down there is probably one of the oldest facilities in Newfoundland where people are actually working and people are being incarcerated. You remember the careers of correctional officers. I jokingly say sometimes at least the inmates only got to spend two years there. Our staff got to spend 30, 35 years there. Uh, and that's part of trying to recruit people to work in this environment. They hear us talk about it so much, uh, at least on the horizon, if new recruits could say in three or five years, there's going to be a new facility. I'm going to have a better work environment, and I can do my job effectively in actually providing services, uh, rehabilitation services, mental health services that will support the inmates there and hopefully return them society better than they go in there. Uh, but like I said, that facility down there is not conducive to work, uh, and it's certainly not conducive for anybody that's uh, in that facility. So that's a significant piece now that we will continue to have some dialogue, and I don't want to say it will become very assertive in that area now because that should have happened going back to the decade of darkness report and reports that have been done since the most recent one that we actually had commissioned uh, that cannot be put on the back burner any longer and as to be addressed and i see some money has been put set aside for um, some more seats at the uh, atlantic police academy and pei for those interested in becoming correctional officers Absolutely. There'll be some supports there now that will actually assist people because it's a program that is costly. Uh, so the initiatives there, again, discussions that we had with government, they've put this in place, uh, and I'm glad they have because that will assist Newfoundlanders and Labradorians now uh, to reduce the cost of going off to the Atlantic Police Academy doing a great training program uh, as we do great training here in the province. I'd love to see a day where we could actually probably have a course done through somewhere like our public college like CNA that's even being talked about. Uh, so maybe a day will come when we can not only be training in Labrador, but maybe right here on the island as well, training our own officers. Uh, and Newfoundland's Labrador's going to... So this will support uh, some, uh, could be either seasoned individuals or new graduates that would want to go off to Police Academy, uh, provide some funding to Newfoundland's Labrador, something that we the parties have agreed upon. And I believe, again, a good step, because I keep saying, you got to invest in our people uh, to get a return, and then and these individuals come back with a return in service contract, basically, to work within our correction system. Jerry Earl, I do appreciate your time. Thank you. Greatly appreciate it, and thank you very much. And Jerry Earl, of course, is the president of NAEP. Well, coming up, we'll have a chat about killer whales in Newfoundland and Labrador waters. This is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we're back. Any idea what uh, this theme song might be, Claudette? 
Chicago. <laughs> That's the theme song for the 1977 film Orca, filmed in part right here in Newfoundland. In fact, I, I believe the boat that they used in that film, it was for years sitting up there in Petty Harbor. Not sure if it's still there now or not. Anyway, the reason why we're playing this haunting theme by Ennio Morricioni is because we're talking killer whales with local expert Dr. Jack Lawson. He recently tweeted out that a pod of about 30 killer whales was spotted off uh, the southeast coast of the Southern Avalon, believed to be one of the largest pods uh, recorded in the area. And he joins me now. Well, hello, Dr. Jack Lawson. Hello, Linda. How are you doing? Good. So I, I don't think, well, it may come as a surprise to people to know that we do have a fairly healthy killer whale, I guess, population in and around Newfoundland and Labrador, but it's apparently quite healthy. Tell us what you're looking for. Well, we uh, think we have almost 100 animals in a photo identification catalog over the last few years, and and they're sporadic. They show up here and there around the province, usually in relatively small numbers, so group sizes of, say, five to seven. But uh, on the 3rd of uh, September, or a couple of days ago, our crew that's in a twin otter aircraft was uh, offshore of the, let's say, go off Cape Race about 100 miles and spotted a group of 30 killer whales, which included five uh, adult males. And so that's a pretty large group. We've only got a few records over 30 animals before. So uh, I was excited to see that, and hopefully someone else will see them as well. So what do they prey on primarily? I know seals are a big part of their menu, but would that be the case in the summer months? Well, actually, it's kind of interesting. We don't have a good handle on what seal or sorry, what killer whales eat in this area. So we know that we have some mammal eaters, and most of the killer whales here have been seen eating uh, whales. So they'll pick off minke whales in particular. Uh, sometimes they've been seen uh, attacking humpback whales that have calves. And as well, they've been seen chasing and killing uh, dolphins like white-beaked dolphins and so on. We've also seen some humpback, or sorry, some killer whales eating fish probably. So there'd be like a, a ball. All of Cakeland's got seabirds and dolphins and killer whales around feeding on it. But whether they eat seals or not is another question. We I've seen them only rarely in the wintertime when we have, you know, as you know, large breeding groups of, of harp and hooded seals offshore in the ice. And rarely have we seen killer whales in the area. So they don't seem to love seals as much as they love eating minke whales and dolphins. So do they stick around in the winter months then, or do they stay in our waters? Are they very migratory? What's the story? Do we know much about them? Well, they definitely move around quite a bit. We've had just some some luck just this last summer. In uh, late July, we were up off of working out of uh, Hare Bay area and up north towards Gricket, and we were uh, putting satellite tags on whales. So these would be small tags about the size of a bar of soap, have a little antenna. They stick to the whale with a little pair of barbs for anywhere from a few days to a few weeks if we're lucky. And they talk to satellites overhead and give us things like location and, and dive behavior and so on. And we were finally able to uh, tag a female killer whale. And her group has been hanging around the northern peninsula ever since. So for more than a month now, they've been going, dipping down into the Strait of Belle Isle, maybe down as far as St. Barb, but then coming back to the Hare Bay area and then going up to the Belle Isle and then back down to St. Barb again. So they're just kind of dawdling around the northern peninsula. So they do move quite a bit, but at least this tag animal anyway isn't as going as far as I thought she might. So this spot, this pod of about 30 uh, animals uh, recently spotted, is that typical for the size of a pod or is that extraordinary? 
Uh, it's pretty unusual, at least according to my records. So, you know, most of our, more than 60% of our records are groups of six or less whales. Only rarely do we get animals in groups up to 20 and 30. There was a report back in the 60s of a group of 100 killer whales that was seen, but it was, uh, you know, sort of in quotes in a, in a whale in Texas. Someone who complained that there was, quotes, 100 killer whales around. So uh, for good data, it looks like, you know, 50 probably is a maximum number that has ever been seen here, but it's super rare. And do they, are they typically like family groups? Uh, what is the composition normally of some of these pods? Well, it seems like a lot of the pods seem to be females with calves and usually maybe one male or a couple of juvenile males. Uh, so we don't see many adult males around with these groups, uh, which is sort of like it is in the West Coast where you often have groups that are called matrilines, so mothers and their daughters will stay in the group over time, whereas the males will move off and, and join other groups. And, it, you know, I'm noticing more and more that people are posting um, video and, and pictures of uh, killer whales. Are they becoming more, uh, I, I guess, used to boats on the water and people on the water? And is there anything we need to be uh, aware of? That's always the question. You know, we've got, as you say, so many people are taking imagery now. You know, in the last 10 or 15 years with the advent of cell phones, everybody's out there and has a very good camera now to take pictures and video and has been willing to post it on social media. So it's hard for me to say if there's more killer whales or just more eyes on the water. At least during our surveys, it doesn't seem like we see more whales than we used to see, more killer whales, that is. Um, so it's hard to say. As for whether or not people should be concerned, I always say it's like anything else. You know, when we're, people are reporting big sharks, big tunas, uh, near humpback whales feeding and things like that, that, if you're in a boat and there's killer whales around, just be consistent. So if you're motoring along and killer whales approach your boat, um, just keep motoring in the same direction you had or, or speed up and move away from them. Usually they're just curious. They'll come in, cruise along next to the boat for a while, and then get bored and go off. At least that's what they do with us. So I wouldn't be worried. I would really enjoy the experience of being around the whales, but just be consistent in how you are around the whales. Don't change direction quickly or speed towards them if you see them. Anything you're looking for uh, from citizen scientists? Uh, any pictures that people can have are awesome because it'll tell me how many are in the group. And if I'm lucky, we have a catalog set that's based on the left side pictures. So ideally, people would have photographs of the left side of the killer whale. And we know that certain animals have unique scars and, and scrapes and cuts and colorations. And so we can use those to identify individual whales if we're lucky enough. And where can they send them? Uh, they can send to me at my Twitter account, which is D-R-J-W-L-A-W-S-O-N. So it's Dr. J.W. Lawson. I'm on Twitter. And I have a, a longer DFO address that I won't try to burden you with here. I can give it to you after the interview. Dr. Jack Lawson, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, Linda. No problem. So there you go. A pod of about 30 whales, typically pods in this area, about six individuals. This one up to 30. Just imagine with, uh, I thought he said four or five uh, adult uh, males in that group. And they're kind of like wolves, I suppose, if you know what I'm saying. In a pack? Yeah, they tend to eat a lot together. Go in a, a pack and hunt together and all mm -hmm. of that sort of thing. So you have a lot of females. You have a lot of their, their offspring at various 
stages. Mm -hmm. And usually the males, there might be one male and then a couple of juvenile males, but typically the adult males will, you know, go off and find another group, I suppose. But um, in this case, five adult males, wicked. Uh, Really interesting stuff. So uh, stay tuned for that. And if you've seen any orcas or killer whales out there, let us know about it. And for sure, let Dr. Jack Lawson know about it. Well, we're going to let you know about something now. The RCMP has concluded its uh, operation in... Port Saunders, that was in the old Eddie's Cove Road area. They had been asking people to stay clear for a little while while they're doing some work in the area. Um, and uh, one person now taken into custody and uh, the RCMP thanking people for its cooperation so you can move about freely uh, in uh, Port Saunders again in the old Eddie's Cove Road area. And we'll have updates on that in VOCM News coming up right after this. Well, the uh, province expanding its traveling orthopedic surgery program to Carbon Air. This is News Talk on VOCM. Join Greg Smith weeknights at 545 as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration shows, and new music. Tune into Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your VOCM. And we're back. Well, the provincial government is expanding its traveling orthopedics program to Carboneer. Premier Andrew Fury made the announcement today, along with Minister Tom Osborne and Divisional Head of Orthopedics with the uh, NL Health Services, Dr. Will Moores. Uh, VOCM's Richard Duggan was in Carboneer this morning for the announcement. Here's some of what Fury and Osborne had to say. Today's announcement is the result of hard work of many people who are in this room, including uh, two chiefs of surgery in their different capacities here. Um, But today's announcement is not about them. It's about the long list of arthroplasty patients. So the long list of people waiting for total joint replacements, total hip replacements, total knee replacements uh, throughout our province. We know as a government that this list will continue to grow as our demographics change and the indications for surgery continue to expand. That said, we need to be creative in our approach to dealing with the wait list so people aren't sitting at home in pain. So with that said, we've already had some successful initiatives, uh, particularly specifically with the St. Anthony mission, which we've taken traveling surgeons and anesthetists to St. Anthony to use that beautiful facility there to work with the hardworking women and men on the ground there to do patients from that region and across the province. And we've already seen that bear fruit, doing up to about 100 to 150 joint replacements in St. Anthony. We've also introduced same-day joint replacements. Not everybody has to stay in the hospital to get a hip or knee replaced. Some can go home afterwards. That was a new initiative that we put in place last year. Since January of this year, we've done almost 150 of those patients. So combined, that's almost 300 people who would not have had surgery done this year alone. But we're not stopping there. Today, I'm very pleased to announce that we will, for the first time, be doing total joint replacements in Carboneer. That will allow us to do two lists of joint replacements per week, totaling over between two and 300 extra patients per year. So not only does that help us tackle the joint replacement wait list, it helps use this beautiful facility right here in Carboneer. It's good for the region, it's good for the province, and it's good for people who are waiting in pain at home. And trust me, in my previous profession, I know some, one of the hardest things to do is to go and tell a patient, 
that they've been canceled or to hear the phone calls come in to say, I've been waiting six months, I've been waiting a year. When is it my turn? I can't work, I can't care for my children, I can't pick up my grandchildren. Well, initiatives like this and more to come will help us deal with the arthroplasty, the joint replacement wait list in a timely fashion, in an efficient fashion so that people can have the quality of life that they deserve. I'd like to once again thank everybody for coming here today, but a special thank you to Minister Osborne and his staff for taking this initiative. You can imagine now the, the pressure that I put on Minister Osborne when it comes to orthopedics in particular, recognizing that the wait list is something that we are going to be measured on, the federal funding is attached to. We have to make sure that we're prudent and efficient and responsive to that growing demand. And Minister Osborne has been a true leader in that capacity. So thank you all for coming. An exciting day for Carbon Air, an exciting day for the people of the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. And I couldn't be more proud than to be here with each and every one of you. This is exciting news for Carbon Air today. Uh, we did uh, tease out Carbon Air some time ago, saying that we were going to uh, be doing joint replacement in Carbonair, similar to what we're doing in, in St. Anthony. So St. Anthony has been very, very successful, and thank you uh, to uh, Will Moores and, and the other orthopedic surgeons who have traveled with him and, and uh, have made St. Anthony successful. Uh, the total capacity in St. Anthony is about 140 a year. I believe the total capacity for Carbonair uh, will be somewhere between two and three hundred a year. I, I think I'll let uh, Dr. Uh, Moore talk a little more about the, the total capacity for here. Uh, we have looked at uh, uh, the same day as the Premier has indicated in at uh, St. John's at St. Clair's. We have increased uh, capacity at St. Clair's uh, by putting a sixth OR site uh, at the Janeway. Uh, by moving some of the uh, women's health surgeries from St. Clair's to the Health Science uh, Janeway facilities, which will amount to a couple of hundred additional surgeries at St. Clair's a year once that's complete. We are focused, uh, we had the, the surgical backlog task force looking at how we can reduce the wait times for surgeries in the province. There were 32 recommendations very pleased to say that all 32 recommendations will be put in place. Uh, we have started on, on some of those already, uh, such as the traveling orthopedic uh, surgeons, um, the, the Heart Force One, and other very innovative ideas that government has put in place. So under the leadership of Premier Fury, uh, I will tease out that Gander is next on the list for orthopedics. I'm not going to tell you all the news about Gander today. Uh, that'll be within the next couple of weeks. But we are moving forward. Uh, we are focused on reducing uh, the benchmark uh, or the wait lists for surgeries in Newfoundland and Labrador. And this is a prime example of how we are putting those promises into action. So that's Premier Andrew Fury and Health Minister Tom Osborne this morning in Carbonear. And uh, this uh, new approach that they're taking, um, having these uh, joint replacement surgeries uh, done in places like St. Anthony and soon Carbonear, 25th of September, I think they said, is when that's going to start there, uh, expected to um, add another two to 300 extra patients a year. So 
are people willing to go that route? I would imagine they are. Um, when you're in pain, you want to do the quickest thing possible. Indeed. Yeah. Joint replacement um, or the need for joint replacement certainly isn't life-threatening, but it's, it is absolutely life-changing. Um, I know I injured my knee not too long ago, well, a couple of years ago now, and it was not the not what it should have been for a while, and it really alters your life. Your life, mm-hmm. uh, how you get around, um, how you interact with your child, your feeling of uh, security just in walking, doing, you know, wa- um, climbing stairs, those kinds of things. It, it's something else. I mean, you injured your ankle not too long ago, twice so. actually, twice. <laughs> yep, just recently again. So, oh yeah, my goodness! I know that. So it changes. Just your, you know, it, like I said, it's not life threatening, but. You know, and then what happens if you're not as active, if you're used to being active? Well, you might tend to put on a bit of weight, and that can cause other problems. It's almost like a little bit of a snowball effect. It really is. Uh, And then it affects your... Yes, your mental health. You know, your feeling of Mm well-being, right? Um, So um, people are choosing, obviously, to get this done in other places, even though it might be a little bit out of the way. But uh, would you rather that, or would you rather wait another six months until something opens up here in St. John's? So uh, that's the kind of approach that government is taking, whether or not it's uh, meeting with success, uh, you know, in terms of how patients feel about it. Well, we'd love to hear from patients to see how they feel about it. You know, have you gone through a uh, joint replacement surgery in St. Anthony, for instance, um, where you might have had to wait an extended period of time elsewhere to get it done? And how did it go? Was it good for you? <laughs> uh, you know, would you advise others to do the same? Um, I certainly would like to hear from you. It would be neat too to hear like eventually how the numbers translate as to how it takes the load off other areas in healthcare, if that in fact does, because I mean, we all know how bad the waiting is, especially in emergency and people going there for non-emergent uh, areas. So I would love to see numbers, too, to see how that impacts in the future. Well, it's all about, you know, getting that all-important uh, time, right? Yes. The, yeah. the, the, the time for the availability in that, I don't know what you call it, surgical theater, <laughs> the the operating room yes um (laughs) so um you know if it's backlogged and because they're doing surgery one two three four five of all types of different surgeries whenever you know then it but now they're saying they're going to be doing um women's surgery in some places and that'll free up some space in other areas and all of these kinds of things so I know, baby steps, right? Yeah, all part of this reimagining healthcare, I guess, if you want to put it that way, uh, that uh, government has really had to knuckle down and have a look at in the last number of years, because we all know, and especially since COVID, how dire Dire. it's all become, right? It it really has. Mm -hmm. Um, Just, you know, try. how often do people want to go to emergency thinking that they're that sick, but really not going because they know that the wait time is just going to be absolutely unbearable well how many among us have done the same thing you wake up in the middle of the night and you say it's not worth going in there you'd rather suffer at home i really need to go to emerge but i'm going to see what happens down in the next little while and who knows you know it could be nothing it could be something we're all used to that though aren't we we're all used to saying oh i'll just go up to emerge and now we're doing that second guessing the second guessing always and and the worst thing is though too like i know that it's a great program the 811 but when you call their them and ask their opinion they're going to tell you to go see someone yeah if they think serious enough they're going to say go 
go to emergency. <laughs> yeah. And then you, you know, you're there with a bunch of other people who are equally as miserable as you are, mm -hmm. and they're all waiting and getting frustrated, and you see that coming out every now and again. And I've noticed, too, from my own personal experience and talking to other people that have been in Emerge, I've been in there waiting while other people have been brought in by ambulance and still waiting after me. Like, just because people think they're going to go that route as well, some people think, oh, I'm going to get the ambulance to bring me in. I'll get in quicker. That's not the case. You're still triaged. You still triage. And yeah. they triage for a reason, yes. right? They can tell. You can tell them whatever you want to tell them. Yes. But they can tell by your heart rate and all yep. those other little intangibles. The vitals. The yep. vitals yep. Uh, they tell you a lot if this person is crashing in front of you or if they're, they can wait another And that's minutes. basically what emergency is for, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're crashing, that that's the emergency. Yeah. So. So severe trauma. I mean, mm -hmm. even I know people who've got in with cuts and all yeah. this kind of things. Like, but I'm bleeding. Uh, well, but you're, you're still not alive and you're not going to die. Out. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Those are the priorities. And when you see it in that, on that level, you start to get an idea. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we've also had taken this approach now with emergent care. You know, the kinds of things yes. that require, uh, you know, I have a really sore throat now. It's Friday. I'm not going to be able to see my doctor till next week. You don't week. want it to turn into something. You That's don't emergent. Want yeah. So, yeah. But you also don't want to sit in an emergency for eight hours to exactly. have your throat looked at. So yeah. we're looking at those kinds of options, too. And when I say we, I mean the province as a whole. I don't mean we. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, yeah, that there's there's that big aspect of health care as well. For those less I important things but that still mean a lot to you. Mm -hmm. I, I'm to afraid I'm going to go off of. a little bit on a tangent, but um, I just recently seeing things that are happening in social media and stuff, and, you, you know, congratulations that I think there are four new radiation therapists now in, you know, on the other side of healthcare. Goodness, there yeah. are four new ones because people are still going off to Toronto mm -hmm. to get their radiation. Uh -huh. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, a lot of people not having to do that and just seeing the impact, the positive impact that people have. Absolutely. On, what a stress and strain it at already. Oh, my goodness. Stressful yes. time for you and your entire family. Yeah. Yeah. Just extraordinary. But so now, thank goodness. That's I saw goodness. the smiles on the faces of the new, you know, in print. And I was mm -hmm. thinking, yeah, this is going to make such a big difference having those four therapists in. Yeah. So. Claudette, thanks for this. Uh, thank you. Have a great day. <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow. Be careful out there, folks. Tomorrow's the first day of school. You're going to see an awful lot more traffic than what we've been used to in recent days. So uh, take your time. Be patient. Get, And you'll get to where you're going. You'll be safe, and you'll keep others safe as well. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone.